This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion, one verse at a time. Well, welcome back. This is the One Verse Podcast, and I'm your teacher for this podcast, Jeremy Myers. Do you know what the gospel is? That is, if you had to define the gospel right now, or even share the gospel with somebody, what is it that you would say? What would you write down? I teach courses on the gospel occasionally, and I very often start off the course by asking people to do that very thing. Take out a piece of paper, write down the gospel. You have 30 seconds to share the gospel with somebody. And you know what I discover? If I have 10 people in the class, I get 10 different answers. There's a lot of confusion in Christianity today about the nature and character of the gospel, what we have to share, what we have to believe, what the gospel even is, what it does for us. Anyway, so it's interesting that Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 talks about being prepared, having our feet shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Sort of hard to do that if we don't know what the gospel is. That's what we'll be discussing in today's podcast study as we look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15. Now, I do want you to know that if you enjoy these podcast studies, I'm also making an online course about them. They are found over at redeeminggod.com courses, and there is a whole online course related to the armor of God, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. It's based off these podcast studies I'm preparing and teaching here, but the course has a lot more information in it that I'm not sharing in these podcast studies. And furthermore, when you take the course, at the end, you will be able to download a free copy of my forthcoming book on the armor of God, uh, which contains all of the information as well as a bunch of other stuff as well. It's a PDF copy, so you can use it for your own study. You can even use it in your Bible studies and that sort of a thing. And you know what? That book won't be out on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Google Uh, or Apple, for about another year or more. So this is a great way to get a super early advanced copy of that book. You do need to be part of my discipleship group to take that course, though. And you can join the discipleship group by going to redeeminggod.com slash join. Other than that, though, the course itself is free, along with all of my other courses that I have available for members of my discipleship group. All right. So... With that in mind, let's get into our study of the gospel, the sandals of the gospel, from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15. All right, so in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul has given us our battle briefing and given us our battle plan and told us our battle about our battle foe, and he has now turned in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14 to begin telling us about the armor of God. And verse 14 contained two pieces of the armor. We talked about these previously. They are the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. And now in verse 15, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, Paul is going to explain to us about the sandals of the gospel. Now, I know if you've read this text, Paul does not actually talk about sandals. He doesn't use the word sandals. He says, he instructs us to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. 
Well, what do you put on your feet? Not shoes. Uh, they didn't have shoes back in Paul's day. They wore sandals. So although Paul doesn't actually mention sandals, sandals is what the Roman soldiers put on their feet. It's what Paul wore on his. And so that is what we are going to refer to this piece of armor as, the sandals of the gospel. All right. Now, uh, we're going to look at the sandals of the gospel in three ways, just like we have done with the two previous pieces of the armor of God. We're going to discuss what the sandals were for the Roman soldier, that is, how they worked and functioned for the Roman soldier on the field of battle. Second, we will discuss what the sandals are for the Christian. Well, uh, we already see here, it's having our feet shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace. So we'll be talking about what that is and what that means. Thirdly and finally, and maybe most importantly, we will talk about how to make sure we go about wearing the sandals of the gospel in our lives. Okay, this is the most critical part of this study, because we need to make sure we have our feet shod with the, with the sandals of the gospel, as Paul instructs. So let's talk first, uh, first of all about the sandals for the soldier. What were the sandals and how did they function for the Roman soldier? All right, well, sandals for the Roman soldier were very similar to some sandals you might see today. They were made primarily from leather and were fastened to the feet of the soldier with leather cords or leather straps that went around the ankle and then partway up the calf. Again, very similar to some types of sandals you might see today. Now, you look at the sandals that we have uh, recreations of from today, and I have some pictures here if you're following along in the video, but uh, you can even Google these or, or go to my website, redeeminggod.com, uh, Ephesians 6.15, and you can see some pictures of these sandals there. Uh, but initially, they appear to be rather flimsy, and they don't really seem to provide much protection or stability to the Roman soldier. But this actually was not the case, at least as far as the stability and protection. The sandals were light and airy, first of all, which allowed the feet to breathe and stay cool and dry, even when the soldier marched or worked or stood guard all day long. You know from movies and books and stories, or maybe if you have experience in the army yourselves, that uh, soldiers spend a lot of time on their feet and in their boots or in their combat shoes. And if they're not careful, if they don't protect their feet... Uh, with special socks and keeping their feet dry, then they can get infections and diseases and sores all over their feet, uh, which makes it difficult for them to stand or fight or march. So the sandals sort of protected them from this. It helped keep their feet dry, kept uh, kept them from getting the sores, and um, allowed them to stay cool as they marched. Now remember, we, we learned earlier that the Roman soldiers would often march as much as 25 miles a day, or even 25 miles in five or six hours at a, at a quick, uh, basically a trot. Uh, and so you wouldn't want to, partway through this long march, to, to start developing blisters. Uh, and sometimes these marches would require them to wade through streams or rivers. Well, if you were wearing boots or heavy socks or something, uh, the, your, your feet would get all wet, and then they would, would develop the sores and, and, and um, infections. So these leather strips... The shoes that had these leather strips and straps were in designed in such a way so that they did not rub or cause sores on the feet, ankles, ankles or calves, and uh, enabled these soldiers to wear these for long portions, even most of the day. Now, one aspect of these sandals made them essential 
pieces of armor for the Roman soldiers. And this aspect is what set the sandals of the Roman soldier apart from those the average Roman citizen might wear as they're walking around the marketplace, or even like Paul might have wore as he went on his three missionary journeys. The aspect that set the Roman soldiers apart, the sandals of the Roman soldiers apart, was that the bottoms were fitted with metal spikes. And these spikes helped them maintain their footing on the field of battle. Uh, Remember, Paul has said four times in Ephesians 6, 10 through 14, his instruction, this is part of the battle plan, is that we are to stand our ground, having done all to stand, to withstand, stand against the devil, right? And having done all to stand. So four times he's told us to stand our ground. One of the main ways the soldier in battle can do this is by having the special spikes on the bottom of their sandals, which help them. Remember, the soldiers would often be fighting in slick or muddy terrain on the field of battle. Sometimes they might be fighting on grass, which can get slick with dew or rain or, of course, with blood. And uh, so the the spikes on the bottom of their sandals would help them maintain their footing on the field of battle. It helped the soldier stand firm. It's very similar to the sorts of cleats or spikes that athletes will wear today. Uh, Athletes in track and soccer and football and baseball, they all have some sort of plastic or even metal spikes or knobs on the bottom of their shoes, which help them get better footing and help them maintain their speed and even help them stay on their feet in the field of battle. They can pivot better, turn better, run faster right? So uh, the sandals for the Roman soldier provided similar stability. When the sandals, uh, yes, they didn't provide a whole lot in the way of protection. (laughs) If a sword was striking at your feet, these sandals really are not going to do much to stop the sword strike. But the sandals certainly helped the soldiers stay on their feet. And that is the most important thing. I mean, what would you rather be? Have your feet well protected while you're on your back (laughs) or be on your feet so you can defend yourself with your sword and shield and the other parts of your armor. Obviously, you want to stay on your feet. A soldier on his back is at a great disadvantage in battle. And so the sandals for the Roman soldier served one primary purpose, to help keep the Roman soldier on his feet in battle. That is the point. The spikes and studs, uh, by the way, also helped provide a bit of a weapon to the soldier as they marched and stomped across the field of battle. Part of their training would that they would stomp on fallen combatants, thereby inflicting greater harm and, and damage on the soldier, therefore making it much less likely that that enemy soldier would stand up and rise up again and fight them. Okay, and you those spikes would not be help would not be uh, feel good when you get stomped on your hand or body or even on your head uh, by the other Roman soldiers. Okay, so that is how the soldiers are. That is what the uh, the sandals were for the Roman soldier. Now, what are the sandals for the Christian? This is the second thing we want to look at. Well, in in Ephesians six fifteen, Paul equates the sandals, or he describes the sandals as the preparation of the gospel of peace. 
All right, so there's three key terms in this phrase that must be considered before we can know exactly what the sandals are for the Christian. The, the, the three terms are preparation, uh, gospel, and peace. So uh, let's look at that middle term first, the gospel, because that's the, the main one here. So what is the gospel? Well, you might know what the gospel is, but let's just define it briefly. The word gospel means good news. And uh, if you've taken my online course, The Gospel According to Scripture, I spent a lot of the early lessons in that course carefully defining the gospel from Scripture. And I won't, I won't summarize all of that, the, the first lessons of that course for you here. If you're part of my discipleship group, I encourage you to go listen to those lessons and take those lessons. But uh, basically, the bottom line summary truth is that uh, the word gospel means good news. Now, it could be good news about anything, and I talk about that in the course. It doesn't have to refer to Jesus or the Bible or eternal life or forgiveness of sins or anything like that in Roman culture of Paul's day. However, in Scripture, the word gospel is only used and always used in one sense only, and it always refers in some way, shape, or form to the good news about Jesus. So the gospel, the biblical gospel, is not just about how to go to heaven or how to receive eternal life or how to spend eternity with God, because there's lots of truths about Jesus that aren't necessarily about how to go to heaven when we die or how to receive eternal life, right? There are gospel truths about how to live this life now. There are gospel truths about how to know we have forgiveness of sins. There are gospel truths about how to live in peace with other people and fellowship with God and have fulfillment in this life. And all of those sorts of biblical truths related to Jesus are gospel truths. All right, so we can define it this way. The biblical gospel is every truth related to the person, work, and teachings of Jesus Christ, not just about how to gain eternal life, but also about how to live life now as God wants and desires. All right, now lots of people get confused about what the gospel is and how to share it with others, and you can just see that by reading books on the gospel or attending, you know, gospel presentation conferences or things like that that might be taking place at your church or at some uh, crusade, evangelism crusade or something like that, or just listen to evangelists on the street or reading some evangelism tracts. There's lots of confusion in Christianity today about the nature and message of the gospel, all right? However, uh, even though I've just said, and by the way, they're not all wrong, but they're also missing some of the central truths, okay? So they all are correct in the sense that a lot of these various approaches to the gospel truly are presenting gospel truths, are they? But a lot of them get muddled and confused because even though, as I just said, the gospel is every truth related to the person and work of Jesus Christ, there is one central truth of the gospel. I call this the target truth in my uh, online course, the gospel according to scripture. There is one central truth which unifies and ties and wraps up the entire gospel together, makes it all make a whole lot more sense in your life. And that central truth is this. 
The central truth of the gospel is that Jesus gives eternal life to those who believe in him for it. Or, stated another way, if you believe in Jesus for eternal life, you have it. Okay? Uh, Paul sometimes is, rather than talk about eternal life, Paul uses the term justification. Paul might talk about how we are justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. All right? Uh, Jesus often says, he invites people to believe in me, he says, for eternal life, for everlasting life. All right? So, the good news, we have this big, giant, overall, arching, all-encompassing gospel that includes every truth related to the person and work of Jesus Christ. But the central, and maybe we could even say most significant and important truth of the gospel, which unifies the entire, all the gospel truths, is that Jesus gives eternal life to those who believe in him for it. Okay? Now, you get that central truth straight in your mind, and it is going to help you in so many ways in your life as a Christian, in your understanding of the Bible, and in what Jesus wants from you. All right? And the reason we need to keep this central truth central is because there's lots of Christians out there who they are a little muddled on what we need to do to receive eternal life, and they don't have the central truth of the gospel central in their mind. And so rather than say, well, we need to, uh, you know, uh, we receive eternal life by believing in Jesus for it, they say, well, no, we need to also get baptized, attend church, we need to read our Bible, pray every day, repent of our sin. You know, these sorts of things are also required. Obey the Ten Commandments, whatever, in order to either keep their eternal life, prove that they have eternal life, or in some cases, even gain eternal life in the first place. But here's what happens. All of those are good works. Reading your Bible is a good work. Attending church is a good work. Keeping the Ten Commandments is a good work. Repenting, changing, turning from your sin is a good work. Even submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is a good work. And as soon as you start to include those sorts of things into the requirements to receive eternal life, You are no longer teaching that eternal life is a free gift of God, received solely by grace alone, through faith alone, completely apart from works. Instead, you are now adding works somehow or another into the mix. Okay? Uh, Now, don't get me wrong. Is it good to read your Bible and pray and repent of your sin? Of course. And guess what? All of those are gospel truths. Those are calls and instructions of the gospel, but they're part of the other truths of the gospel, not the central truth of the gospel. That is, we receive eternal life by believing in Jesus for it. All right, so that's what the gospel is. I covered it real briefly. Again, if you're part of the discipleship group, take my course, The Gospel According to Scripture, to get a lot more detail on everything I've just talked about. There's these two other terms we need to cover. Uh, Paul talks about, the, secondly, the talks, he talks about the gospel of peace. All right, so the, this is the gospel of peace that Paul is referring to here. Now, this can refer to peace in a lot of ways. First of all, once you know for sure that you have eternal life, because it's the promise of Jesus that if you believed in him, you have it, and Jesus doesn't lie, then look, that creates great peace in your life, doesn't it? 
Lots of people who do not know where they stand with God, who do not know for sure if they are truly forgiven, who do not know for sure where they're going to go when they die, who do not know for sure if they are part of the family of God, one of the children of God, who do not know for sure that they have eternal life, okay, they do not live in peace. They live in stress and worry and fear and doubt. They try to live a good life, but they never know if they've done enough. Look, there is great peace in knowing that you are safe and secure in the arms of God, and that nothing, absolutely nothing, not angels, not demons, not anybody else, not even yourself, can take you out of the arms of God. There is great peace in that. And once you know that you are safe, then you lose the doubt and the fear, all right? And you are able to stand on your feet and follow Jesus wherever he calls you to go in the field of battle, into the dark places and the dangerous places, because you, you know that you have your spikes on and you're not going to fall on the field of battle, right? So, so that's the first type of peace that the gospel creates in your life. But it's not just peace in your own life because now you know where you stand with God. Uh, There's all other types of peace as well. For example, earlier in Ephesians, Paul had talked about how the gospel creates peace with others. This is in Ephesians chapter 2. The entire chapter of Ephesians chapter 2 is all about how Jesus created peace on the cross. Not just peace between God and ourselves, but also, and even primarily, peace between ourselves and other human beings on this earth. Most of Ephesians chapter 2 is about this dividing wall of hostility and how religion and culture and society and even different races are livid enmity with one another and hatred towards one another. But Jesus, through the cross, tore all that down, destroyed all of that, and showed us how to live at peace with one another, which is through forgiveness instead of through rivalry and hatred and violence and accusation and blame and scapegoating. All right? Jesus showed us through his sacrificial death on the cross how to die to ourselves and create peace with other people. So the gospel truly is a gospel of peace. It creates peace in all areas of our life. Now let's talk about this third key term then in Ephesians 6.15, this word preparation. Paul writes that we are to shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. All right, so I guess if we were going to be precise, the sandals aren't exactly the gospel itself. Rather, they are the preparation of the gospel. And so uh, the, the preparation of the gospel is accomplished in two ways. We prepare ourselves with the gospel in, in two ways. First, by knowing what it says. Uh, if, if we have to know the gospel in order to be prepared with the gospel, right? If you are ignorant of what the gospel is, uh, or what the message of the gospel is, then obviously you are not prepared with the gospel. So you must be, you must, first of all, to be prepared with the gospel, know what the gospel is. Uh, and then secondly, you need to know how to share it and live it in your own life. 
right? You need to know what it is and you need to be practicing it and you need to know the, how to share it with others. So all of this is getting us into the realm of putting on the sandals. So uh, if we want to put on the sandals, that's the same as preparing ourselves to know what the gospel is, how to share it with others, and how to live it in our lives. So let's just move to this third and final part of the study on Ephesians 6.15 and talk about how to put on the sandals of the gospel. All right. So in order uh, to—remember, I said uh, we prepare by knowing what the gospel is. So in in this section of putting on the sandals, let me just, again, go back and hit this one more time because it's so important, and I don't want you to miss it. All right, we already know what the gospel is. The gospel is good news. It's, It's all of the truths related to the person and work of Jesus Christ. But if you stop and think about what this means, how many truths are there related to the person and work of Jesus Christ in the Bible? Well, there's thousands. In fact, since every passage, every chapter, every book of the Bible, every verse of the Bible speaks of Jesus, as Jesus himself said, you search the scriptures daily, because in then you think you have eternal life, but these are the scriptures which speak of me, right? Since that's the case, then we could say every single truth in the Bible is gospel truth. But if that's the case, right, (laughs) then that sort of explains why there's so much confusion, so many garbled gospel messages out there when people try to share the gospel, because they're all gospel truths. And so one set of Christians you know, might focus on, uh, I don't know, some of the central events out of the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, say uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that's fine because those are gospel truths. But other people might uh, focus on this list of things that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-8. But you go through there and you see that there's lots of things that have been left out, such as the virgin birth of Jesus and some of the miracles and so on of Jesus. All right. And people say, well, 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 those are gospel truths too, so we need to include those. Other people like to talk about the prophecies and the miracles of Jesus, all right, or some of the events in the book of Acts as the apostles go and start spreading the gospel. Look, the truth is, all of those also are gospel truths. But you can see how if you have five different groups sharing five different gospel messages, and they're all saying, this is what you must believe, this is what you must do, it can get confusing for the average person who is hearing five different, apparently, contradictory messages about the gospel, right? And it's not that these other gospel messages are wrong, it's just they're saying, this is the thing, this is the central, this is what you need to believe, this is what you need to do, and it gets confusing for the average person. However, if we back off and we focus on the one central truth, which I've been talking about, and I teach and write about in so many other places, the central target truth of the gospel, to receive eternal life, believe in Jesus for it, that's it. Anyone can have eternal life if they just believe in Jesus for it. Jesus gives eternal life to anyone who believes in him for it, right? Focus on that, and then all of those other gospel truths fall into place to support it, to protect it, to explain it, to defend it, all right? So it's the central gospel truth which must always be kept in mind and must always be our focus. And when we do that, all of the other gospel truths fall into focus and flow from it and support it. All right, so is it true that Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead? Of course it is. And yes, those are gospel truths. And you can, and in fact, probably should share those gospel truths with people. 
These truths, though, that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, look, if you just believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead, do you have eternal life? No, you don't. There's lots of people who believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead, but they also believe that they have to perform a whole host, a whole bunch of good works in order to gain forgiveness and be forgiven and, and go to heaven when they die. Lots of cults, for example, believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead, and they will teach that. But then they say, but you also have to do this, and you have to do that. And here's this list of 10 things, and lists of 15 things, and you have to, right? Well, what are they depending on for eternal life? Not Jesus. They're depending on themselves. Okay, but the, so, so you see, they have lost their, the central focus that eternal life is by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. They're teaching a good truth that Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead, which is a gospel truth. But if we get the cart before the horse and get things all muddled up and mixed around, then um, it can get confusing. All right, so yes, share the people, share with people that Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead, but that's a supporting truth. It helps us learn how and why he can offer us eternal life. It proves that he is God, that, that God is on his side, that God vindicates Jesus, that God proves that what Jesus claimed about himself is true. Uh, how about uh, prophecy and human sinfulness? Can we talk about that? Of course, the prophets and the prophecies prove that Jesus is who he said he is, and that therefore Jesus' words can be trusted. How about human sinfulness? Can we talk about this and point people to the Ten Commandments even and say, see, if you break any of these and you've broken all the laws, so therefore you're a sinner. Yeah, that's an important truth too, but it shows people that you can never be good enough on your own, and therefore the only alternative is to what? Believe in Jesus for eternal life. Do you see how all of the various gospel truths focus in, point to, support, defend, flow from, right, this central gospel truth that Jesus gives eternal life to those who believe in him for it. All right, keep that in mind, keep that central. So how do we put on the sandals of the gospel? You first need to know what the gospel is. And I am encouraging you, inviting you to keep the central gospel truth central, because that is what is going to help you know how to share the gospel with others. All right. Um, and, and also keep all of the other gospel truths in mind. Now, towards that end, I would encourage you to sort of, uh, a lot of times when people share the gospel, when Christians share the gospel, they include all sorts of things which might be biblical gospel truths, but are not the crystal clear offer of eternal life that is central to the gospel. For example, you will often hear Christians say that uh, in order to receive eternal life, you need to believe and you know, fill in the blank. Believe and repent. Believe and confess your sins. Believe and be baptized, right? Well, uh, is repentance and confession and baptism all part of the gospel? Of course it is. But nowhere in Scripture will you find anybody, Paul, Jesus, anybody, telling people that to receive eternal life or justification, they need to believe and, all right? Repentance, confession, baptisms, they are helpful for many things in the Christian life, but they are never conditions for receiving eternal life. Uh, except Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Well, very important to recognize that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, but these are discipleship truths so that we learn how to follow Jesus as a Christian. Okay, They do not 
help us receive eternal life. Those are works, accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior, submitting to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Those are works which are important for the life as a follower of Jesus, but uh, are not the central gospel truth of how to receive eternal life. Repent of your sins, confess of your sins, be sorry for your sins, be willing to give up your sins, right? All of these things, all this stuff about sin, getting rid of sin in our lives, confessing Christ, following Christ, all right? Um, uh, Committing, submitting, surrendering your life to Christ. (laughs) Here's one, put Christ on the throne of your life. Well, good, great, you should. Let him be your Lord and master. Let him rule, guide, and direct you. But this is for discipleship if you're already a member of the family of God. And how does that happen? By believing in Jesus for it. Let go and let God. Believe in God. You hear that one sometimes. Well, look, every person of every religion, Christian or not, believes in God. So you don't receive eternal life by believing in God, right? (laughs) Because, again, you take any religion in the world, they all believe in God. They believe in a God. Sometimes they believe in various gods, plural, okay? But they all believe in God. So believing in God isn't enough. Same with like having faith. You just got to have faith, brother. Well, have faith in what? Have faith in whom? About what? Okay, it's not just enough to have faith. We all have faith. Every person in the world has faith. Even atheists have faith. They might not believe in God, but they believe in something. They believe in their own logic. Okay, they believe uh, that the sky is blue. They have faith that uh, later today they will be eating dinner. Right? They believe things. Uh, so it's not just enough to believe things. You have to believe in the right person for the right thing, which is believe in Jesus for eternal life. Uh, again, believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead. We talked about that one on there. Um, you know, pray this prayer, walk an aisle, sign this card, come forward, you hear all these sorts of things at evangelism crusades. Again, none of those are talked about or addressed or instructed in Scripture either. Ask Jesus into your heart. Also, a favorite among some people, but not ever instructed anywhere in the Bible one time. All right, so look, but all a lot of those things, not all of them, but a lot of those things are good things to do, and even they are gospel truths. But if you get confused about the central truth of the gospel, then all of those things are going to cause your gospel presentation to be muddled and messed up. Okay, now, so that is know the gospel. And I just wanted to emphasize that again. How do you put on the shoes, the sandals of the gospel? Well, first, you got to know the gospel. What is it? What are the central truths? Secondly, then, you need to know how to share the gospel. Again, I would always encourage you to start with the central truth and go from there. As you're having a conversation with somebody, invite them, first and foremost, to believe in Jesus for eternal life. And then you can have a conversation from there based on the questions that they ask. So if they say, well, what do you mean by belief? Good. Now you can talk about what the Bible says about faith. What is faith? How do you know you've believed? And I've written a book on that called What is Faith? If, if you're curious. Uh, if, if they say, well, who's this Jesus? You know, how, how can, what are you talking about Jesus? And you might say, who is Jesus? Everybody knows who Jesus is. No, I've run into lots of people, even here in the United States, surprisingly, who have never heard of Jesus. They're mostly children. Usually by the time a person's a teenager, they've heard something about Jesus. Okay, But I have run into people, children, who have never heard about Jesus. So you can talk to them about Jesus and who he is, or eternal life. Or maybe a person will say, what, are you saying that if I believe in Jesus, I can have eternal life, and then I can go do whatever I want? Okay, Uh, You should be thrilled if a person asks that, because they have understood what you've said. And, uh, and I, I address this, by the way, this exact question in my course, The Gospel According to Scripture, 
not trying to keep talking about it, but it is related to this, and I know you have questions that keep popping up, so I'm directing you to that course because I simply can't say everything in this one podcast, okay? Uh, Anyway, the point is, you share the one central gospel truth and then allow the leading of the Holy Spirit and the interaction questions and comments of the people or person you're talking to to guide your discussion going forward so that you can share other gospel truths. And of course, it's not just about what you say with your words, it's also how you live. And guess what? Living the gospel is some of the main truths of the gospel. I don't know what the percentages are. But I would guess that well over 90, maybe 95% of the gospel truths of the Bible are about how to live out the gospel in our lives. Pretty much Romans, Galatians, and the gospel of John are primarily concerned with how to receive eternal life. The rest of the Bible, and not even all of those books, uh, primary passages out of those books show us how to receive eternal life by believing in Jesus for it. The rest of the Bible, though, is all about how to live the gospel, how to do what God wants us in this life, how to live and love like Jesus, how to serve others like Jesus. And all of that is gospel truth, how to live the gospel in our lives. And that is what we must do uh, as part of the gospel as well. How do we put on the sandals of the gospel of peace? Well, we not only know what the gospel is and how to share it with others, but also how to live the gospel in our lives, because that is where Primarily, peace is going to enter into our lives as we live out the truths and claims and promises of the gospel in our life. So the gospel not only tells us how to receive eternal life by believing in Jesus for it, but also how to live this life. Maybe we could say primarily the gospel is about how to live this life by living and loving like Jesus, as Jesus has called us to do. Okay, So that is how to put on the sandals of the gospel. We've seen what the sandals were for the Roman soldiers. We've seen what the sandals are for the Christian. And now, finally, we've seen how to put on the sandals of the gospel. Now, hopefully you join me for the next lesson. We will be talking about the the shield. And it's also a a very important part of the the soldier's armor as we look at that in Ephesians 6.16 next time. Look, I hope you enjoyed this study of the sandals of the gospel. Mostly, I hope you've gained some clarity on what the gospel is and what the gospel means and the central truth of the gospel. Maybe you're struggling with whether or not you're forgiven, whether or not you're part of the family of God, whether or not you have eternal life, how to know where you'll spend eternity after you die. And you've learned that truth in this lesson. You can know for sure that you have eternal life simply by believing in Jesus for it. It's the promise of Jesus, and Jesus does not lie. Right? If you believe in him, you have everlasting life. And everlasting life, by definition, cannot be lost. Okay, But that's not the main thing of the gospel. It's also about living the gospel out in our lives, sharing it with others, and that is what we have learned in this study. Now, look, if you have more questions about this, as I mentioned frequently, maybe too frequently in this podcast, I do have multiple additional resources available to you through my discipleship group. I have several courses. The Gospel According to Scripture is one. I also am writing and and preparing and teaching right now 
another uh, course called the Gospel Dictionary. It looks at 52 keywords of the gospel. There's a course there on faith, a course there on prayer, a course there on church, uh, a course there on hell and evangelism and how to study the Bible and all sorts of other things available for you as well. That's how, you can see what's available, the courses, by going to redeeminggod.com slash courses. And if you want to join, then that's simple. Just sign up at redeeminggod.com slash join. Okay? Hey, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for joining me today. And we'll see you down the road somewhere. Make sure as you go about your life today that you have your feet shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace. We'll see you next week when we turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, and look at the shield of faith. See you then. Bye.